friends. Welcome to episode two of PathPod Stories. I'm Christina Arnold of the University of Colorado, and I can be found on Twitter at carnold underscore gi. Today is Thursday, June 18th, 2020. In this episode, we celebrate Father's Day through the shares for pathologists. The first is Dr. Kalisha Hill is the Chief Medical Officer at Amita Health St. Mary's Hospital in Illinois, and she shares a conversation with her father, Dr. Ken Williams, Chair of Cardiology at Rush University in Chicago, Illinois. Follow her on Twitter at Kalisha Hill MD. That's K-A-L-I-S-H-A-H-I-L-L-M-D. Next, we'll hear from Dr. Celestine Trinidad, a pathologist working at Metro Manila, Philippines. She'll share with us how her father inspired her to go into medicine and then how she had a surprise veering from surgery to pathology and and the thoughts that went into that decision. Follow her at C-E-L-E-S-T-R-I-N-M-D. We'll also hear from Dr. Michael Arnold, the Medical Director of Anatomic Pathology at Children's Hospital of Colorado. He'll talk about his experiences as a father with his daughter, Madeline Arnold. Follow him at Arnold underscore peed path. We'll also hear from Dr. Lalani Valdez. She's a medical director for Regional Pathology Associates in Victoria, Texas. She joins PathPod Stories to share her love of her father and the life lessons he imparted. Follow her at Leilani CLV. That's L-E-I-L-A-N-I-C-L-V. In between our Father's Day tribute, we'll have two trainees share how they became interested in pathology. You won't want to miss it. We'll hear from Dr. Anis Saad, a research fellow at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation in Cleveland, Ohio. Follow him at A-N-A-S-S-A-A-D-94. And Dr. Greta Evaristo, third-year AP resident from McGill University, Montreal. Make sure to follow her at gte V-A-R-I-S-T-O-M-D. But first, I wanted to add a special Happy Father's Day to my mother, Paula Burnett in Texas. And I realize for those of you who don't know me, this might sound confusing, but here it is. I didn't grow up with a father. I was an only child of a single mother. I heard the phrases latchkey kid and broken family. I could see you know, pity in the eyes of some folks as I took my situation in. And I always found that confusing and sad for them. My mom, even at five foot tall, was larger than life to me. She was the boss at work. She was definitely the boss at home. And she seemed to be the boss in whatever room she walked into, which I admired indefinitely. Um, My favorite memories were Wednesday afternoons. She took Wednesday off and I would come home from school and she'd always have a fresh plate of warm brownies ready for us so we could sit down and watch Judge Judy with brownies. She insisted on adding nuts even though I told her nuts were gross but she explained that they were healthy and good for me and she was a boss so the nuts were always added and I just picked the nuts out and put them in a tiny little pile on my napkin and that was gross too because it looked like a little pile of rotten teeth but I really look forward to that time with her on Wednesdays I just love spending time with her she was my favorite person in the world we had a lot of silly conversations and serious conversations and it just seemed I could tell her nothing that would change her opinion of me and she was always there to support me and it was a very special time Now as an adult, I look back at that time and I realize we didn't have a lot of stuff. We didn't go on vacations. We didn't have all the fancy things. I think I got a computer when I was a senior in high school. But at the time, I didn't realize nothing seemed to miss. I just loved my mom. I knew she loved me and we had so much fun together and it was just perfect. 
She was my best friend. She was the first person to believe in me. I remember she would come to my school field day competition competitions, which I hated because I'd rather read than run. I thought running was dumb, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. And she would lean over, but she would come because she wanted to cheer me on. I remember her leaning over one day. I had to do run hurdles, and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And I didn't want to do it, but she leaned over and said, you can do it. Just fly like the wind. And I really thought I could do it. And that's because she thought I could do it. She, In her eyes, I was perfect. So now I'm a parent. I have a co-parent. And I really don't know how she did it all on her own. When my co-parent leaves for a trip when we used to travel, I fly in grandparents to help with the morning rush, the dinner rush, preparing for the school. Inevitably, one or both children get sick and needs to have an adult stay home with them. The doctor's appointments, and don't even get me started on things like the bills, groceries, homework, pets, academic demands. I don't know how she did it. I asked her once and she said, well, there was no other way. There was no time to think about it. We just did what we had to do. She taught me about hard work and the importance of education. I recently heard her tell my kids, did you know your mother always had a perfect attendance? She didn't miss one day of school, not one. And well, that's because she wouldn't let me take a day off. I know I tried. I tried to say, but mom, I have a headache, but mom, I don't feel good. And she said, school is your job. Working is the only way. This is your job, and I'm counting on you to do your job. So, yes, I went to school every day. She now has the most special relationship with my son. He calls her every day. He's a 10-year-old boy, and she is his best friend. He will talk with her privately. He'll go to a pantry. He'll go close a door. He wants a special time with her. He doesn't want anyone else to have her attention. And I understand that. I recently overheard them talking. They were just reading recipes from recipe books to each other and laughing and discussing their favorite foods. And she just has this way of listening like there's nothing more special in the world and you just feel like you are the most special person in the world. He actually looks just like her. And he has the same sense of humor and he's he's silly just like her. So it feels like I have my mom with me all over again, even though... We're in Colorado and she's in Texas. And that's a real gift. So, Mom, I just want you to know, I know you're listening. I want you to know that I didn't miss having a father growing up because I really think a father would have gotten in our way. We had so much fun together. It was just perfect. And on this Father's Day, I want to send a big happy Father's Day to you. Thank you for being my mom, my dad, my sister, my aunt, my best friend, my coach, my therapist, my cheerleader, and a beautiful Father's Day to all the PathPod listeners. No matter how your family was configured, we wish you all a very special day. And now, PathPod Stories, Father's Day edition. Stay with us. I am Dr. Kalisha Hill, and I interviewed my father, Dr. Kim Williams. He is the Chair of Cardiology at Rush University in Chicago, Illinois. This is our Path Pod story. Hi, Dad. How are you? Hi, sweetheart. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. So happy to have you here with me. So I'm going to ask you just a few questions and just have a little dialogue and a good chat. So I think... Because it's Father's Day this week, and I'm very blessed to have such a wonderful father and just a great dad who's always been there for me at every step. So <laughs> so I just want to know, first of all, what do you enjoy most about being a dad? I think the most um, enjoyable part is watching the kids grow up, get them through whatever difficulties they're having, navigate all that, and at the end, pops out this human being who gets up, goes to work, and helps people every day. Oh, wow. That is just the most remarkable thing in my life. Yes, I totally can see that. Um, I I feel that having now college-age children, and you recognize how much it takes to be a parent and how much your dad's words pop into your mind when you're raising your own kids. (laughs) Um, So, yes, I will say that that's probably the most valuable aspect, seeing them work through all the challenges of life and then turn out to be functional human beings. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So, in terms of your profession, 
And not just for you and I as physicians, but for all doctors out there, what do you think is the greatest challenge facing us as doctors today? We really have several. <clears throat> you can't dissociate everything that's happened from the COVID epidemic, uh, the stress that it's put on the medical provider, the cost in, in terms of human life, uh, both in our medical community and outside of it. You know, the House of Medicine has geared up just like an army would mm -hmm. uh, to defend the country, and we've done the best that we can. Um, you know, and the aphorism, not so pleasant, has been stated that we're essentially building the airplane while we're flying it, and yeah. it's full to capacity. Yeah. And that's exactly what's going on. Uh, it has its toll, psychological, uh, as well as physical. And um, we have to support each other, and we have to get everyone through it uh, and get the best possible outcomes. But that's what we do. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think anyone foresee this challenge coming on physicians and the toll it would take in terms of taking care of patients and then also in terms of their businesses as well as their home life. So a lot of impact there and an opportunity for us to support one another. I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, you know, we've had financial difficulties in the physician community. Uh, they're stressed even more now. That is a lot of places uh, that had, you know, enough cash on hand for six months, et cetera, uh, having budgets that have completely crashed and uh, having to turn to the one thing that they you know, never wanted to do, which is cut physician salaries. And it's hard to say, we want to put you in harm's way, and then we're going to take away your pay. And it's yeah. a really hard thing for people to, to adjust to. Yeah, no, that's very, very true. So back to you personally. So you've been on this earth and contributing so much to so many people over years. You've had students and fellows. You've raised children and grandchildren. So now that you have a good amount of time under your belt, not old, just good time under your belt, what is the hardest decade that you've experienced to date? That's a, a really good one. I would I would say the toughest part was growing up on the south side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I would say the first, you know, if I had to divide them in tens, you know, zero to ten would have been the toughest just because, you know, we grew up very poor. It was uh, always uh, some sort of crisis financially. Uh, we basically had to move every year because people didn't want to renew the lease. Uh, and uh, so I ended up at eight different grammar schools. Now, that made it socially difficult. Um, fortunately, for high school, we moved in to my great-grandmother's house, and so I did go to one high school. Um, but, you know, the ability to develop friends, and then actually you find those same friends a few years later because you end up back at the same school. Um, now, having said that, pretty much everything that happened that was negative um, turned out positive um, in some way. Mm -hmm. I became a professional tennis player. I knew those neighborhoods because I lived in them all. Mm -hmm. okay. And so I taught tennis all over the south side of Chicago, and you have an opportunity to influence young people. Yeah. Um, I say at, at the end of that um, sort of zero to ten, um, right when I was turning 11 was when I ended up with uh, a pneumonia, and that really changed my life. Uh, because I was admitted to a Southside of Chicago hospital. The care as an 11-year-old, I could see that it was not what it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I decided, I didn't act on it right away, but I decided that I wanted to be a doctor to wow. try to fix that hospital. And so uh, the hospital's still there. I only the only thing I do fixing it is I train someone who now is the chief of cardiology there. So Excellent. I my Excellent. Um, but uh, that really stimulated me to um, try and, rectify some of the healthcare disparities starting, you know, as a 10 going on 11 year old. Wow. And that really speaks to where we are present day with everything that's going on, um, recognizing the healthcare disparities among ethnic groups and how we as a country have to address that. And I'm happy to see that as a nation, we are trying to move in the right direction, but you're speaking to individuals over time that have made a conscious effort to make a change. And that to me is what is really needed more than anything else. So I think that's wonderful. That's excellent. So fun stuff about your kids, just about kids in general um, and what kids in different generations like to do. So yeah, I think if you had had $20 when you were a little kid, back in, back in that time, what do you think would have been something fun to spend 20 bucks on? Oh, that's, that's really easy. Uh, I got cut from my high school baseball team, even though I had a good – 
uh, throwing arm, and I could flag side uh, fly balls, and uh, I got cut because I didn't have a glove. I was oh, 20 bucks, wow. and I would have bought a baseball glove, and it might have changed everything for me. Now, I can't look back and say, is this because I wanted to play center field for the White Sox? That was a career decision. Um, and in terms of the impact that I could have on humanity, that probably would have been the wrong thing. So maybe it's better just don't give me the 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's true. I think if you had had the glove, you may not have had your passion that you identify with tennis, and you've yeah, made yeah. a great impact in the tennis world over the years. So, right. so you never know. Sometimes not having that twenty dollars may have paid off. <laughs> Very true. Wow. Okay. So, in terms of being a leader, and all physicians are leaders, and um, that has become more and more evident um, as we try to groom future physicians. Um, one of the greatest aspects of a leader is their ability to communicate. So what have you learned about communication throughout the years? I would say the most important thing that any leader has to understand is that you have to have the attitude of a servant. That's right out of um, out of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's written there a couple times. People can look it up in you know the Gospel of Mark. If whoever wants to be in charge has to be the servant of everybody else. If you take that attitude, um, then it makes you listen. Mm-hmm. If you listen, you're going to gather the information that's going to help you put people in a position where they're going to be successful. And once that happens, the, happens the entire team becomes successful. Yes. So, I, you know, there are plenty of leadership books around that people can read and they'll give you specific insights. But I can't think of anything that's more important to my leadership uh, style than listening to people who work for me. Yes, yes, that is very true. And... I think that uh, has been very evident among all of the leaders that we're seeing, uh, in particular during this COVID pandemic. The ones who were most effective are those who listened to the experts as physicians. Um, it was very important for us to have a voice. As a pathologist, for me personally, it was painful for people who did not understand laboratory medicine at all, suddenly becoming experts and doing a lot of talking and not a lot of listening. So I think all of the pathologists um, around the country had their personal task to educate everyone around them about laboratory medicine and really get people to listen to accurate information. So, yes, listening is probably the greatest test that occurred during this COVID pandemic among many leaders. So thank you for that. So, in terms of being a dad and a granddad, what do you think is the most important role about being a grandfather? It's, a, it's an interesting time, um, and I have grandchildren who um, span the age range, you know, going from uh, going on 19 and just being born and, and everything in between. And it's uh, um, the, the one thing that you have to be able to do is just be there and be supportive. And I know it's not easy when you have kids in different parts of the country, which we do in our family, but um, you'd be there as much as you can. Um, uh, be the person who they can call if they have an, an issue. Um, they hopefully, but when they have the cell phone, hopefully my number is right there and uh, we can talk about things that really will help them grow and, you know, sort of, you, you never want to take the place of a parent. Uh, I did that. It's your turn. <laughs> right. Um, but you want to be a resource. And yeah. so if that would be the word that I would, that would try to, to uh, if, and uh, try to imbue in every grandparent, just be a resource. You don't have to control. You can influence, but you don't mm-hmm. have to control. And just be a resource. Oh, that's very true. And I think parents, you know, now that I'm a parent of older children, uh, once they get into college, you know, you can't control to the degree you did when they were little, and all you can do is guide, and um, I like to call them uh, financially dependent adults, and that's essentially what they are, so it's kind of this limbo role where they're dependent on you, but you can't really tell them what to do, and so you have to just guide, so I'm grateful to have my grandparents there for my children. Um, You all have made a, a tremendous impact on their lives growing up. And you in particular, as my dad, all the love you gave to me to see you give it to them has made a great impact on their lives. And mine as well, having that help when I was raising them. So. Okay, well, here's where I start cheering up. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it is wonderful and a wonderful blessing. So, in terms of your career, um, 
what would you say is your greatest accomplishment to date? Well, that's, that's interesting. I, I would say uh, probably I would mix it with family. Um, mm-hmm. And sure, people would look at being the president of the uh, American Society of Nuclear Cardiology because that was my chosen field, um, being chairman of the Board of the Association of Black Cardiologists, president of the American College of Cardiology, wouldn't dream of anything higher and higher calling in the field of cardiology. Um, you know, being an academic cardiologist in, in a leadership position, being able to groom careers, um, get people promoted to full professors at other universities, there's so many things that you could do. But none of them really, uh, as, as wonderful as they are, none of them are as exciting to me as growing a family who's so concerned about humanity, mm-hmm. three physicians and a Marine who will go and out there and not just help every uh, help people every day, as I, as I mentioned, but work at it, work at making sure that this place is a better earth because they were born. Yes. And that's yes. the thing that I really uh, think is, has been the most positive in my career. Actually, that's very well said because when we think about our own careers, um, as physicians, our goal is to heal, and you want that impact to go beyond your career. So for the impact that you've had on your uh, children becoming physicians and a Marine, so they're out there making a difference in people's lives, um, it goes beyond your career because now you've helped to foster the careers of the next generation. And so we hope to keep doing that for generations to come. That's right. That is excellent. So in terms of careers, that's your accomplishment. What has been your greatest career challenge, and how did you overcome it? I'd say the, the biggest issue that we have is the healthcare disparities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I happen to be a cardiologist. Um, heart disease is what I do for a living. Heart disease has been the leading killer of Americans since the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. Um, and, you know, people are now studying the Spanish flu, and they're learning so much about it that they didn't know before. But I had actually been into it for a while because I was hoping that I could be the tool to stop it from lasting for an entire century. It didn't work, okay? And it really is about lifestyle and nutrition. Mm -hmm. And um, the the American lifestyle, the American diet, uh, gives so much more heart disease and so many risk factors than 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 one would have to put up with. It turns out that uh, COVID epidemic, remarkably, um, once last week there was a publication about viral replication and higher serum cholesterol. Mm-hmm. That that meant that was everything. We have hypertension, obesity, diabetes, and now cholesterol. All of the risk factors that we've been trying to reduce, to particularly in the black community, to try and uh, reduce heart disease are the ones that cause the accelerated disease with COVID. Yeah. And so the hospitalizations, but then hospitalized and intubated, and then hospitalized, intubated, and then mortality, it's all related to the risk factors. Um, so people will see uh, there's been a little bit of data. We have a lot of it at the analyzing at Rush that they're thinking that this is a problem of the African-American community. It is. There is a higher mortality rate. But if you adjust for the serum cholesterol and the obesity, uh, hypertension, diabetes, you include the risk factors in the model, it's not race. It's risk. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've been working on this uh, before COVID, and, and we're certainly working on it now to try to change away from those things that we do that harm our cardiac health because it seems like the second pandemic of this century, heart disease first and now COVID, are they're basically the same thing with completely different mechanisms. Yes. They're attacking the same people. Yes. No, that is very true. And I think uh, that, again, is something that will start to change as it's become nationally recognized that the healthcare disparities are not just affecting the people, it's affecting the hospitals that are having to care for these patients. And it makes all the difference in the world to try to prevent disease rather than us trying to treat and not being successful, particularly with COVID-19. So many people died simply because they have those risk factors, and had they been corrected, um, many lives could have been saved. So I do think we are making progress, though. I, When I see a lot of um, blogs and social media posts, I'm seeing a lot more groups of people working out together, seeing a lot more groups of people changing their diet, moving more towards a plant-based diet, trying to decrease the amount of uh, meat products they're eating. And 
just recognizing that each of us have to be in control of our diet and what we eat. But again, those disparities make it difficult. Um, eating healthy is not cheap. And you have to give people resources and opportunities to be able to make better choices. And I think uh, what we are experiencing in the country currently in June of 2020 is that people are recognizing that people just want opportunity. What they say, just give us the tools and get out of our way so that we can move forward and so that you have more people that are progressing socioeconomically, progressing in their thinking, and are able to change their lives. And I think that's the impact that you've been working on your entire career. And I remember seeing your um, uh, video on the news when I was a kid when you were running on the treadmill with your afro trying to fight heart disease. And I remember that, uh, that news segment being very impactful on me as a child that you were trying to make a difference then and you're still making a difference now. Well, you make so many good points. The, you know, our lifestyles, <clears throat> the chair has become the new cigarette. And the ability to recognize that what we're eating is harming us uh, is, is starting to catch fire. And people are starting to understand, but they need much more education. And so I feel like my career is just starting right now oh, because awesome. I've, you know, only been doing this, you know, nutritional cardiology for about five years. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really, you know, the point you make, uh, you know, we are so blessed in cardiology. We had about a 70% decrease in cardiovascular mortality in this country, still number one, a uh, 70% decrease over four decades. How do we do that? Stents, bypass surgeries, statins. But, you know, the attitude of so many patients when they come to me is, Doc, I'm having this problem. Give me a pill so I can go back and do the things that gave me this problem. Right. Place. And that is what we're really trying to root out. We, you know, we have some wonderful moths. But that doesn't mean that we should continually mop the floor when we should be turning off the faucet. Exactly. Very well said. Well, thank you so much, Dad, for taking the time to do this. And I'm just thankful to have you as my dad. And happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kalisa. <laughs>
like the day before it just became terrifying and I started wondering what's going to happen if I don't like it, if it's nothing like I imagined. What if I built my entire road so far in this premise that I would love the specialty and all of a sudden everything just breaks apart? And I mean, I think it's needless to say that it did not. In fact, I started my pediatric pathology elective and it was fascinating. I mean, everything, the surgicals, the autopsies, frozen sections, tumor boards, looking at every case, every slide with the pathogenesis just playing itself out in front of my eyes because this is what it really is right it's a it's a two-dimensional movie of cells playing out the biological processes that explain their morphology i, I mean it's just fascinating and each day of that elective was like that each day of the elective was exciting was novel was educational and it introduced me and I should say biased me towards the world of GI path, which I've been obsessed with ever since. And it introduced me to the amazing world of pathology as a whole, confirming without any doubt that that's what I wanted to do in my life. So now the thing is, is that you fast forward this to this day and it's still the same. Every slide, every case, every day you learn something new. And I might be still very early in my career, but the amazing pathologists I work with on every day, my teachers, my mentors, they have 10, 20, 30, 50 years of experience ahead of me, but they're just as fascinated by every single day of their work as I am. They're just as excited to solve the mystery and learn from it. They're just as appreciative of how beautiful every section is and how colorful every story is. And that's really what makes Pat the most beautiful specialty. This is Anasad and this is my PathPod story. Good morning everyone. This is Anasad and this is my story for PathPod where I'll talk briefly why I've decided to become a pathologist and how the recent COVID events have impacted me so far. So going into medical school, I didn't have a specific passion for or like for speciality in mind and I wanted to explore everything so when I started studying pathology, that was the first time I felt most attracted to medicine, actually. I mean, I loved pathology with everything about it. I loved the details in it and how it made you understand everything in medicine, like literally everything from mechanism to diagnosis to treatment. I enjoyed pathology rotations where we learned how microscopic findings reflected clinical findings and impacted management plans. It was my favorite subject and I spent most of my time reading it, reading in it. I mean, I know this is going to be this is going to sound nerdy, but I have to admit that in my free time I used to do pathology cases outside the outside of the university's curriculum and I even had contests with my best friend on who would who would do more cases right. So yeah, anyway, although a part of me knew that my future medical career will be in pathology, my thoughts were to expose myself to everything first. So as years passed, I was exposed to other specialities and did electives in different fields, uh, also became involved in research projects in oncology, cardiology, and for sure pathology. And finally, in my final year, I was ready and I was able to make my final decision that I am going to be a pathologist. So I graduated last year and started working as a research fellow at the Cleveland Clinic. And now I'm preparing to apply for a pathology residency next match. 
I love how pathology integrates all apparent clinical information with hidden gross and microscopic findings to understand the patients and plan their managements. I see pathology as the way to understand medicine and diseases, and I see pathologists as the guardians of medicine who see beyond the human's eye to understand what's going on inside the body. A few months ago, I, a few months ago, I attended uh, at Case Western University Hospitals a GI tumor board of a GI oncologist, a surgeon, and a pathologist. And for me, it was amazing how the pathologist was able to plan the management and guide everyone. Uh, I have also a special passion in academia and research, and I hope to make changes in the pathology field. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has caused my current pathology rotations to be cancelled, unfortunately, but uh, on the other hand, the lockdown has given me more time to focus on my pathology education. I'm currently trying to use this time to learn as much as I can, connect with more pathologists, and become involved in more pathology activities and events. So, this is Anas, and that was my brief story for PathPod. I hope you liked it. Thank you. I'm Celestine Trinidad, and I'm a pathologist from the Philippines. So I saw that this episode of PathPod is about dads and grads, and I thought I just had to share my own dad story. So my dad wasn't a pathologist. He was a general surgeon. But he still played a big role in my love for pathology. And really, what I am today as a pathologist is because of him. My dad was really well-loved by everyone he worked with, his patients, his colleagues, and especially his students. He used to teach in medical school too. And I really looked up to him, so much so that I followed in his footsteps. And I mean really followed in his footsteps. I went to the same science high school he went to, where, by the way, he and my mom first got together, took up the same pre-med course in the same college he attended, went to the same medical school he did, took up my residency in the same university hospital where he did his training, and now I'm also teaching in the same university where he was a professor. So I just followed him everywhere. Well, except for one time. As you may have guessed, I chose a different specialty. A lot of people were actually expecting me to go into surgery, not just because of him, but also because of my grandfather before him, who was also a surgeon. But I already knew that surgery just wasn't for me. I had already fallen in love with pathology over the years. So when I had made that decision to go apply for a pathology residency, I sat down with my dad and told him that I was going into pathology, not surgery. I was expecting him to be supportive, because he had always been supportive of us anyway. But he was more than that. He was so happy and excited about it. He made this joke that pathologists make more money and can buy better cars than than surgeons, which now, as a pathologist, I realized just isn't true. I was fooled. But then he turned serious, and he said that he had always loved pathology too. And always thought it was interesting and awesome. And it was awesome that I was going into it. It really was true. My dad was the kind of surgeon who read really read pathology reports. Even down to the gross and microscopic descriptions. He also really loved looking at pictures of histopathology. I remember one time when he visited me in the lab. And he saw us projecting a slide that we were looking at using the microscope's camera, and he was just so excited about it. I didn't know you can do that these days now, he said, and he really looked like a kid being shown a shiny new toy. And more importantly, he was the kind of surgeon who really respected pathologists. Unfortunately, here in my country, some doctors tend to still look down on pathologists, but he was never like that. 
He always asked for our opinion on a case and took that into consideration whenever he had to decide on the management of a patient. And he wasn't like that just with pathologists. He was like that with everyone. He treated all members of the clinical team, even his medical students, with respect. He looked at them not as people he had to order around, but people who were his equals, his partners in the management of a patient. And that was probably the greatest thing that I learned from him, that all of us doctors are working together as equals and partners, as a team, and we do it because we want what's best for our patients, always. So my dad passed away two years ago, so this would be the second Father's Day that we would be spending without him. It's still a bit hard for us. I miss him every day, but this is my way of honoring him in his memory. So thank you for listening to my dad's story, and happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. This is Celestine Trinidad, and this is my PathPod story. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Arnold of Children's Hospital Colorado, and I'm here with my daughter Maddie, and this is our PathPod story. Hi, Maddie. Hi. It's been quite a year, hasn't it? Yes, it has. What's changed for you in the last year? Well, we moved from Ohio to Denver, and then COVID-19, as everyone knows. What's it been like to go to middle school in COVID-19? Well, it's easier now to not have to go to the school and just do it from home and and at at my own time my own pace. Congratulations on graduating middle school. Thank you. So we heard Jackson and Mommy talk in another episode. Mm-hmm. Jackson knows a lot about pathology. What do you know about pathology? Pathology is the study of z- diseases, um, mainly in labs and uses of, you use slides a lot and uh, microscopes. Yeah. Frozen sections, uh, optops, uh, autopsies, uh, what else? Very colorful as yeah. well. Yeah. Are your parents always talking about work at home? Um, well, when you go on walks, mom talks about it a lot. Jackson said we're always talking about cases. A lot, but not all the time. Not cases in yeah. general, just like work. What's it like to have two parents that are doctors? It's fun. But also a little stressful because you guys are very outgoing and I'm not outgoing as you guys are. But you both are very nerdy and um, that's fun. We get to <laughs> we get to do did you know facts a lot and you find it annoying sometimes but that's funny. Can I tell everybody my favorite thing that you said about our jobs? That was back in elementary. But it was funny. It was so adorable. I didn't know what I was saying. Okay. What did you say? Um, I want to be a doctor like you, but famous like Mama. You said you wanted to be a pediatric pathologist like Daddy. Yeah. And but you wanted to be famous like Mommy. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I Believe me, I remember. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know. It was like second grade, I think. What's the biggest word you know, and what does it mean? The biggest word I know? Yes. There's a lot of them. Rhabdomyosarcoma is a pretty long one. That's cancer of skeletal muscle differentiation. So what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to be a marine biologist. I want to work with both fish and sharks. I want to be a marine biologist. I'm going to be a marine biologist because I love the ocean and everything in it. Um, I also have a bunch of books on them. Wanted to be a marine biologist since the third grade. My favorite book from my collection is my shark encyclopedia. What do you think I can do to help you become a marine biologist? Let me get those books. <laughs> you want more books? Yes. So what sorts of things do you hope to accomplish? Um, I hope to pro- accomplish um, 
protecting and preserving coral reefs and the um, number of sharks and their and species and every and um, help with global warming and the Arctic and Antarctic and yeah. you know polar bears. That's great. What are your parents like? You both are loud in a good way, very outgoing and very much extroverts. What made you decide to become a doctor, and when did you decide? Yeah, I think I, in high school I wanted to become a scientist. My mom was a biology teacher, so I knew a lot about biology. And at the time, genetic engineering was really in the news, and I was really interested in that. I thought about going into biology, so I went to college and got a bachelor's in molecular genetics. And really late in college... I realized that it'd be nice to do something in the medical field to complement that. I worked with people that had PhDs and actually dental degrees and did dentistry, oral surgery, and research. I thought that was pretty neat. So literally about halfway through senior year, I decided to apply to medical schools. Mm -hmm. And I applied to programs where I could do an MD and a PhD. And that's how I ended up in Dallas at UT Southwestern. Cool. in the NDPHD program. Okay, so I heard that when you and mom first met, she ins- she insulted you. <laughs> what were you thinking? When- yeah, she cried to joke about where I went to school. Mm-hmm. And, and I where you was- lived. Yeah, where I grew up. <laughs> I thought it was neat that she knew something about where I was from. <laughs> That's even all? If it was, even if she did make a wisecrack about it. <laughs> That's funny. Um... What's the worst and best part of being a dad? Mm, The best part's easy. The best part is when you guys do fun things with us and you learn things and we get to see you grow. That's Mm -hmm. always exciting to see you learn to do new things. The hard part is when you don't listen. (laughs) Does that ever happen? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What was um, your first guess on the gender of Jackson and I? I don't know. I I think my first guess was that you'd be a boy. Mm, why? I don't know. You wanted a boy? Sort of. He got but one. But I didn't care really either way. What about Jackson? When you had when when mom told me she was pregnant the second time, I thought, okay, we're gonna have another girl, and I'm gonna have two girls. <laughs> I was wrong both times. <laughs> both times. <laughs> what did you expect Jackson and I to be like? I don't know. I never really thought about it. You were both very different when you were little babies. <laughs> you were a very fussy baby. And you didn't feed me. <laughs> we fed you. No. <laughs> Maybe not enough. But <laughs> Jackson was a very calm baby. Because you fed him every five seconds. We probably did have it figured out the second time around. Yeah. He was a yeah. he was a very calm baby. Yeah. And your personalities have Transformed. <laughs> it's completely switched. Yes. When did you decide to have kids? I think we realized in medical school that when is going to be a better time? When is going to be a good time? Like an hour never situation? Not quite an hour never, but you know, is it ever going to be easier? Are we ever going to have less responsibility? Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. So. Let's just start a family now and figure it out. And it worked out. You were born when she was a fourth-year medical student with about four months to go in her fourth year. And so she, when she found out she was pregnant, front-loaded her fourth year and got everything done and had off-time electives after you were born. What's your daily routine like? Well, there's two answers to that. There's the before COVID and there's the now, right? Okay, so before COVID and now. So before COVID... Pretty nine to five. It's weekends here and there. Late nights occasionally when there's late frozen sections. Most of what I do in an average day is looking at, I'm looking at cases or I'm working on protocols or things for the lab or research projects in my office at work. Doing emails, going to meetings, taking teleconferences. Now it's all teleconferences mm-hmm. and I go into work once in a while. When there's stuff to, when there's cases to work on or I'm on service. What about on the weekends when it's just us four? Weekends when I'm not on call. I think mommy and daddy tend to do a little bit of work each weekend. 
to move some projects along. Mm-hmm. And we try and do fun stuff. We've done a lot of hiking since we moved to Colorado. Yeah, a lot of hiking. Yeah. So we probably spend a day each weekend going on a hike. Yeah. Do you like hikes? At times. At times. When do you like them? Um, when it's not such of a hassle to get ready or get there, or when I just feel like going. Yeah. I don't know. When I'm in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have um, an image of how many kids you wanted? One, two? I thought we'd probably only have one, so I was kind of a little surprised. With Jackson, he was surprised? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What's it like to be married to a pathologist? It's nice that we can talk about things and understand what we work on so so deeply and work together on projects once in a while. That's really cool. What's it like being married to mother? So mommy is incredibly famous. Yes. So yeah. it happens very often that we'll go to a meeting and we'll be walking down the hall together and we'll hear someone come up behind us, Dr. Arnold, Dr. Arnold. <laughs> and we'll both turn around and someone will push me out of the way to talk to mommy because she's so famous. <laughs> What are the pros and cons of being a pathologist? I think a lot of people that go into pathology go into it because they want to see the really interesting aspects of a patient, and they want to be the ones that make the diagnosis, and that's what we get to do, and I think that is so incredible. Every time I have a case, that's the most interesting thing that's going on with that patient. So even though I don't get to see the patients in person, I don't necessarily miss that. What do you want from me? I want you to find something to do that you enjoy. I just want you to be happy. What about Jackson? Same thing? Yeah, same thing. You guys have a lot of talents. You'll find something fun to do. Thanks for talking with me, Maddie. This was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Happy Father's Day. Thanks, Maddie. This is our PathPod story. This is our PathPod story. Hi, my name is Leilani Valdez, and I think this is the perfect time of year to share a story with you about how quickly time flies. I feel like it was yesterday, but something tells me that's the way it is when you think about turning points in your life. These memories are crystal clear, and they form an indelible imprint on your mind and on your heart. I was in his little house, the code name for the garage apartment, where he was allowed control of the TV, his cigars, and the ability to have everything to suit his needs separate from the main living space he shared with my mom. Growing up, I knew that going out to the little house in the evenings was my opportunity to discuss topics with my dad out of earshot of my mother. This day was no different. Of course, I was older, married, and considering starting a family, but I felt the need to go out to the little house for one of our talks just the same. After some encouragement from my mom shortly after my wedding, I decided to try going back to school to see if a career in medicine might suit me better than my previously chosen field of public relations and marketing. Taking the pre-med requirements at the local college in California turned out to be the easy part. I treated school like a job, and as a newlywed, this job allowed for much more time in the evenings with my husband. Now, I was sitting in the little house trying to imagine what my life as a non-traditional medical student would look like and whether it was worth it to invest so much time learning to do something that may or may not work out. After all, I was starting a family with my husband, and we we would have many challenging times ahead, as most young families do, 
no matter their circumstances. All of these little details hung in the air of the little house, having been said and often said again. My dad, a physician, a pathologist. We sat there in between thoughts and concerns. Dad and I watched TV and we sat in quiet companionship with the exception of the background noises in the room. After a long, comfortable silence, Dad summed it up for me. We all get old at the same rate, Leilani, he said, breaking the gap in conversation. What you choose to do with that time is entirely up to you. I didn't answer. I thought, was it really that simple? My future was mine to choose and choose again if it didn't work. And just like that, everything made sense. I would decide to study and learn. I would choose a path that meant long days, early mornings, and sacrifice for me and my family. But I would choose to do it. I would also reserve the right to choose another path if I needed to do so, if my family needed me more, if my interests changed. Because time was passing no matter what I did, and I could choose how to spend it. <laughs> it really was that simple. I'm not sure at the time I realized how this one piece of advice only almost whispered in a familiar surrounding I associate with my dad would shape the next two decades of my life and hopefully the rest of my life to come. This simple but profound idea in a society and a culture and maybe even a family full of expectations for us that we alone have the power to choose. I carried his mantra with me to medical school, starting my first year with a four-month-old infant who, thanks to my mother's coaching, had learned to sleep through the night by that time, giving me ample time to study in the evenings. I needed to remember the advice again when our second child was born in the middle, middle of my third year instead of the beginning of my fourth year like I had originally intended. I considered dad's advice carefully when I weighed my love of pathology against my love of surgery. During my pathology residency, I again asked myself how I wanted to spend my time when considering less than ideal but more readily available fellowships, finally holding out for the position I wanted. And finally, when looking for a place to practice, I knew I needed to choose something that would allow me to be close to my children and be part of their day-to-day -day lives because that is how I choose to spend my time. Knowing that at any time I could choose another path if and when I needed to do so took the edge off the enormous pressure of completing medical school, residency, and fellowship while starting a family and raising young children. <laughs> there were other pieces of memorable advice from dad along this journey. Like the time I called home during my first year of pathology residency, wondering hopelessly how I would ever be able to learn all the different diagnoses required of a pathologist. Leilani, he said, the most important thing to learn during residency is to be able to recognize what you don't know. In other words, the best pathologist has no ego when it comes to making the right diagnosis for a patient. It's always okay to take the time to ask for an expert opinion, but you must learn when you need to ask. This advice that I now include as one of my favorite pathology adages will serve me and my patients for my entire career. It was not part of the initial aha advice, but peppered throughout those little house conversations, I learned that if you choose to spend your time doing something you love, you will not regret your choices. 
I learned that choosing how I spend my time with family, with friends, at work, in my communities, and experiencing new things allows me to enjoy each minute as it passes me by. Dad did this too. He chose to use and give his time meaningfully. And later, as my partner in pathology practice, my dad continued to mentor me in ways I am only now learning to acknowledge. From handling difficult cases to managing staff, his advice proves valuable time and time again. Then, almost seven years ago and one year into our working relationship, the completely unexpected happens. After suffering months of back pain, my dad decided to see a gastroenterologist. Despite a completely normal colonoscopy five years prior, the doctor found a rectal mass on exam, and the next day he had a diagnostic colonoscopy. It was a Thursday. The specimen was on my desk, first thing in the morning, marked STAT. This was my case to diagnose, as it was just the two of us working that week. I knew before I looked at it more than likely what it would be. Common things were common, after all. He had taught me that. And 99% of the time, erectile mass in a 65-year-old man was adenocarcinoma until proven otherwise. But wasn't I, as the pathologist, the one who could prove otherwise? He had taught me that too. However, despite my greatest hopes to the contrary, the view through my microscope showed all the two familiar pink and purple cells forming atypical glands with all the hallmarks of cancer. I pressed the pedal to dictate the diagnosis. Time didn't stop. It continued. The words describing the tumor flowed from my lips like so many other times before, like it was any other patient. I finished dictating and placed the slides on his desk, my colleague's desk, my father's desk. I did this knowing it would be the first thing he would want to see when he came in for the day. Not too much later, I heard him come down the hall and sit at his desk in the office across from mine. I heard the click as he turned on his microscope. Well, came his voice from his office loud enough for me to hear. Somehow you think your cancer is going to look different from everybody else's. As always, even the most trying of times, he had the gift. Of humor. We spent the next year working as a family to buy just a little more time. Those were his words. He wanted whatever time the radiation and surgery could buy him. And he used that time to teach and tell stories to his grandkids, advise his children, drive my mother crazy, as was their habit and make memories with all of us. How he chose to spend that time was an example for all of us. Fast forward to a few months before his passing, and we are back in the little house, exchanging conversation and sitting together in comfortable companionship. Tempest Fugit, Dad said without preamble. That's what I want on my gravestone. Uh, okay, I said. After a pause, I asked, what does it mean? Time flies, he says, smiling with just a hint of tears. Oh, okay, I said. After a long pause, I added, it really does, doesn't it? It really does, he answered in agreement. Yes, it does. Thank you, Dad, Papa, Leonard, Dr. Geets, and friend for giving us your time.
I am Dr. Leilani Valdez, and that is my PathPod story about my father, Dr. Leonard Geetz. From all of us at PathPod, we hope this episode brings love and light into your lives. In order to work on bringing more love into this world, the next PathPod story theme is Lovebirds, How You Fell in Love. Feel free to interview your lovebird, and that might be a person. It might be you felt falling in love with a hobby or your job or whatever or whoever you love. If you'd like to share that with us, we want to just share more love into the world. Of course, feel free to explore any topic you'd like. A lot of people like to talk about how they chose pathology or how COVID impacted your life. And those are very importantly, timely topics. Remember, we have a medical student audience and we're trying to show them the full dimensions of pathology. So we want to hear from everyone. Everyone has an important story to to share. If you would like to share your story, send us an MP3 or MP4 audio file to pathpodpodcast at gmail.com with a photograph that we can use for cover art. That might be your headshot or a fun photograph. Make sure to send your recording with, this is Christina Arnold and this is my PathPod story, for example. See you next time and remember, we all have an important story to share. Support for the free PathPod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. Don't forget to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcast. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod.